0: If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We've been coming through the book of Deuteronomy together and this morning we're at Deuteronomy 6 verse 10 and God willing we'll try to make it through the end of the chapter to verse 25. Let's pray in this and then we'll read God's word. Father thank you so much for the truth. Thank you so much God for your word and thank you Lord that we get to read it together now. God, humble our hearts. Humble us before your word. You said, Lord, that you, that you look on those who tremble at your word. God, let that be us this morning. God, without your help, we don't have wisdom to see. Lord, without your help, these things just hit us, Lord, and, and, and they bounce right off, Lord. But God, we pray that you would cause your word to, to be like well-driven nails. Goads, Lord, to prod us where you want us to go. God, we love your word. Help us to hear it this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy 6, we'll start in verse 10. Hear God's word. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great, And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. It's God's Word. Quick reminder of the context here. Moses is addressing that second generation. And I want you to imagine he's addressing them as they're on the brink of entering into the land of Canaan, the crossing the Jordan and in entering into the promised land. And you imagine the expectation of that promise. That promise, that land promise has been sitting there for centuries. It goes back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and Abraham's son Isaac and God said it again to Jacob that this land is going to be your land. And then Abraham's family ends up having to go to Egypt. And while in Egypt, they multiply to a nation and they're enslaved in Egypt 400 years there. And that promise, that land promise, is just sitting there. Imagine the expectation. And then suddenly, gloriously, God redeems them from their slavery. He brings them with power and signs and wonders, He brings them out of Egypt. And he moves them towards that promised land, and they're right there on the brink of it. The spies go over, and then they're hindered. Because of the sin of the first generation, they're hindered. Forty years in the wilderness, the promise is still sitting there. The land promise, that'll be your land. It's, just, it's still sitting there, and then it brings us right here. So here we are, 40 years in the wilderness, second generation, and Moses is preaching to them and preparing them. Imagine the expectation. He's preparing them to enter into this land. This promise is going to be fulfilled. And that's what Deuteronomy is about. Deuteronomy is the preaching of Moses, preparing that second generation to enter into the promised land. And in our passage this morning... In our passage this morning, Moses fills their ears with warnings and instruction. Warnings and instruction. Now, when I read that just a moment ago, did it sound familiar to you? You know, I know this isn't chapter 6, verse 4, the greatest commandment. This is what's after that. Did it sound familiar to you? Would you think about what we read just a moment ago? And I want you to know something. Jesus loved this passage of Scripture. He loved it. In fact, you remember Jesus being tempted in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4? Twice he quotes, twice he quotes from this passage that we just read. Jesus loves this passage. I want to encourage you to love this passage like Christ that we just read. Moses fills their ears with warnings and with instructions. Let's start with the warnings because he starts with the warnings. There's three warnings and two pieces of instruction here warning number one is found in verses 10 through 12 and it's a warning about prosperity it's a warning about prosperity now do you remember when the 12 spies so 40 years before this you remember when the 12 spies went into the land of Canaan to spy it out and they came back and they gave a report back to Israel you remember that what did they report back I know God said go in there, but listen, there's giants, there's fortified cities, there's mighty armies. We can't go in there. I know God told us to go in there and take that land, but we're going to die. They're going to kill us. We can't go in there. They didn't trust God's promise and obey his word. Now, what if they would have given a report that sounds more like this? Hey, there's giants in there. There's fortified cities in there. There's mighty armies in there. But none of that is a danger to us because we have God. We have God's command. We have God's promise. He's all-powerful God. That's not the danger. But let me tell you what the danger is. The danger is it's a land of prosperity. And without God's help, our hearts will be crushed under the prosperity of that land. That would have been a more accurate Accurate warning. Look again at verse 10 through 12. And when the Lord God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, hear the warning. And when you eat and are full, Then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Did you catch the warning there? Now a few few things about these verses. Did you see Moses' faith? In verse 10, did you see Moses' faith? And when the Lord brings you into the land... He says, when. He doesn't say, if the Lord brings you into the land, but he says, when God brings you into the land. How can Moses be so sure? Because God said it. Because God said it. He spoke it. You need to know this deep in your bones. That God is always faithful to His Word. We have the Scripture. We have God's Word. And we need to cling to it. And one of the reasons we need to cling to God's Word is because He's always faithful to it. He's perfectly faithful to His Word. He always fulfills His Word. Know that in your soul. Moses doesn't say if. He says when. Joshua 21 verse 45 says this. Not one word... Of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. Not one word. All came to pass. And here's Moses' faith. It's just a hand reached out to partake of God's faithfulness. God is faithful, always faithful to his word. How does that affect the way his people look at his word? We just trust him. Giants, doesn't matter. Fortified cities, doesn't matter. Just trust him. We just trust him at his word. Did you notice in verses 10 through 12 a phrase that was repeated four times? Four times it was this phrase, that you did not, that you did not. It's repeated four times. Look at it right here. Don't miss it. At the end of verse 10, it says, Great and good cities that you did not build. That's what you're going to come across when you get into the land. Great cities that you did not build. He repeats it again. And houses full of all good things that you did not fill. He repeats it again. cisterns that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant that you did not. You're going to get there and there's things there waiting for you that, that, that you didn't do it. You didn't build it. It wasn't your idea. And he repeats this over and over again. Now what's being communicated there? This repeated phrase is a self-confidence killer. This repetition, you didn't build it, You didn't plan it. You didn't do it. It's like this repetition. It's like it comes in and it murders all works righteousness. It's a self-confidence killer. Think about what God has been saying to these people through the preaching of Moses. He's been telling them, listen, I brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that delivered you by a strong hand, by a mighty hand. I did that. And now he's telling them this. And when you get there, it's a bunch of this stuff here is blessing poured out. Milk and honey poured out that you didn't do. It's not attributed to you. And he wants them to know this. When Israel gets into the land and, and they're experiencing the blessing... of of a land full of milk and honey, they're just experiencing all the blessing of it, will they be able to pat themselves on the back and say, we did it? We did it. And the answer is absolutely not. And God wants to make it really clear, By my hand you came out of Egypt. By my hand you make it into Canaan. All the blessings there are by my hand. It's not you. He's going to repeat this. Listen, he wants them to know this really well. Deuteronomy chapter 9 says this. Verse 4. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out, thrust your enemies out, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. He says, don't say that. Don't, don't say that. Verse 5, not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess the land. It's not because of your righteousness. He wants them to know that well. Deuteronomy 9, 6, know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. He wants them to know this really well, it's not because of your righteousness, it's not because of your power or your strength, this is my hand, you're going to enter into houses that you didn't build, good things that you didn't, you didn't fill them with, vineyards that you didn't plant, He wants them to know this. Now church, Israel and their life is like a shadow of us, the church, the people of God, the way God deals with them is oftentimes like a shadow of the way that he deals with us. So I want you to know this, that this story is your story. What God wants them to know really, really well is something God wants me and you to know really, really well. Think about your redemption. How you were brought out of slavery and out of darkness. Think about where we're going into the the land of Canaan, as we just sang just a moment ago, into the presence of God. Think about where we're going and the blessing that will be there. At any moment, in, in a thousand years into eternity, will we be able to pat ourselves on the back and say, we did it? And the answer is no. Absolutely not. Don't you know that? That for you to be saved out of the pit of hell for you to be saved from destruction and the judgment to come? It's only because God the Almighty One came into the world to save sinners, died for your sins, open your eyes to His glory. He did all of that. Are your eyes open to see the glory of Christ? And your soul saved is because God did that in your life. And every blessing that's to come won't be you patting yourself on your, back, on, on your own back. It's not that. It's going to be praise to the living God who has saved us and brought us into this land. Man, the Lord wants us to know this well. Now, don't miss the warning here. I mentioned the warning of prosperity. that The language builds. Verse 10, verse 11, you're going to come into this land... You're going to come into these houses you didn't build and these vineyards you didn't plant. It builds. And then he says, and then all of a sudden like a hammer drops. He says, take care. Take care. unless lest you, when you eat and you're full, that you forget God. It just drops like a hammer. All this blessing from God. Take care. He says, lest you forget, lest you forget God. So what's the warning here? The warning here is that the human heart is so desperately sinful that fullness can lead us to forgetfulness. Fullness can lead us to forgetfulness. This idea of eating and being full, as it says here in verse 12, is to be satisfied. But it's the wrong kind of satisfaction. It's not that satisfaction in God and God alone and I'm satisfied in Him and yet I want more and more and more of Him. It's not like that. It's this satisfaction in the things of this life that lead me to forget God. Now in Proverbs there's an interesting prayer that says something very similar. Heed this warning. Proverbs 30 verse 8 says this. I wonder if you've ever prayed a prayer like this. Speaking to the Lord, He says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. That's the prayer. God, don't give me poverty. Don't give me riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. you ever prayed anything like that? What an interesting prayer. God, don't make me, don't even let me get full. Just let me have what I need for this life. Don't let me get full lest I be full and begin to deny you and say, who's the Lord? God, I don't want, my, I don't want fullness to lead me to forgetfulness. The writer of that proverb knew something about his own heart. And that's the warning that they're getting here. Beware when you get into the land and you eat and you're full and you forget the Lord your God. What, what does it mean to forget God? What does it mean to forget God? Now, this isn't just intellectual. This is a spiritual forgetfulness. This isn't a memory problem. It's a moral problem. This is not being ignorant ignorant of facts about God, like, oh yeah, I just intellectually forgot those facts about God. This is being ignorant to the glory of those truths. To see that, to to not just, it's not that they're going to forget little details about God, but that they would know the glory of who God is and fear Him and tremble before Him and affections for Him is spiritual forgetfulness. Lest you be full and forget your God, that's the warning for them. You get there and you got everything that you need. Everything seems fine. There's prosperity just just everywhere in this land. And, And listen, take care lest you forget. Lest your worship of God, your affections for God begin to decrease because all your needs are met. And surely, brothers and sisters, we know that we need to hear this warning, do we not? What land has been more prosperous than ours? And so many of us here have lived in that sort of prosperity, so much so that we don't even feel, until we compare it with the rest of the world around us, we don't even feel it sometimes. How much prosperity is in this land? Do we not need to hear this warning and take heed to it? Take heed. Take heed. All your needs are met. Lest you eat and you're full, and then you begin to forget your God That's the warning here. Now how do we take care? That's what verse 12 says. Then take care lest you forget. How do we take care? These words I command you today shall be in your heart. Saturate your heart with the word of God. Saturate your homes with the word of God. That's what Moses just told us before this. Just saturate yourself with God's truth, God's word. Remember him. Don't forget him. The Apostle Paul tried to help the Ephesian church with this. Many centuries later, he would try to help the Ephesian church with this. Remember, he writes that letter. We call it Ephesians. He writes that letter to him. And we've talked about this many times that you got six chapters and the way we break up that letter. And the whole first half of that letter is just look who God is. Look at his redemption. Look at what he's done. And he tells him in that letter, you need to remember some things about yourself. Don't forget, you need to remember some things about yourself. He says it like this in Ephesians 2 verse 11. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ You were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in this world. He says, remember that. Don't forget that. Remember that. You were without hope. You were without God. Strangers to the covenant. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, Have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Don't forget Him. Take the lesson from Moses, take the lesson from Paul, take the lesson from God. When, when When the land is full of prosperity, when you eat and you're full, listen, don't forget God. Take care. Let these kind of words be in your heart, saturating your soul. Don't forget your God. Now, the second warning, first warning was about prosperity. The second warning here is found in verse 13 through 15, and it's about idolatry. Look at it, verse 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from the face of the earth. A warning about false gods, about idolatry. Now why would this warning be right here? A warning about prosperity and forgetting God and then boom, right here, a warning about idolatry. Why would this warning be placed right here at this moment? And I believe the reason is because there's a connection between forgetting God... And bowing down to idols. There's a connection between forgetting God and walking in idolatry. You need to know this about your heart. Your heart will not remain neutral. It will worship something. Affections will go somewhere. Your heart will not remain neutral. If God becomes forgotten in your heart, then you will certainly replace him with idols. Do you remember the teaching on covetousness a few weeks back? The scripture says covetousness, which is idolatry. Something about your desires. Covetousness, which is idolatry. When your desire for God is decreasing, covetous desire is on the rise. And this is idolatry. But when we remember God... When we don't forget God, but we remember God and affection desire for Him is increasing more and more, then idols are dropping dead everywhere. When we forget God, we walk in idolatry. So brothers and sisters, beware of forgetting God and replacing Him with idols that aren't worthy and cannot save. Now, we see something in this passage, verse 13 through 15, about our salvation, to remind us about our salvation. Let me ask you a question. At this point, Moses is speaking to them, second generation, about to head into the promised land. At this point, are the people of Israel still enslaved? Now, it's kind of a trick question. Verse 12 tells us, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So when you read verse 12, you think, no, they're not enslaved. They've been brought out of the house of slavery. Verse 12. But don't miss this. Verse 13 says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. Same root Hebrew word there. Him you shall serve. Are they out of slavery? where well, they're not under the slavery of Pharaoh. But they have another master. They have another master. Israel has been set free from slavery to Pharaoh. And they've been brought into the glorious freedom and joy of slavery to God. They traded a wicked master for a good master. Their salvation is not freedom from slavery, and I'll do whatever you want. You see, that'd be just another kind of slavery. But their salvation is freedom from slavery to be a slave of God. The joy, the glory, the beauty of being a slave of God. This is the kind of salvation that they have. Now again, Israel's deliverance and salvation is a shadow of ours of our salvation, the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see that. I'm going to read a couple verses to you from Romans chapter 6. Listen to this and see if you can catch the similarities. Romans 6 verse 16 says this. Excuse me, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, you were slaves of sin, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. It goes on to say, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Our salvation described here not as set free from the the slavery of sin to do as you please, but set free from the slavery of sin into the joy of slavery to God. It's the way salvation is discussed here. This is the glorious work of Christ. That Jesus not only saves us from the penalty of sin... The death that sin brings, the hell that sin brings, the judgment that sin brings. Jesus took it all at the cross, all the penalty taken away for those who would believe in Christ. But not only does he do that, but he also frees us from the power of sin. That control that it has. No longer a slave of sin, controlled in your heart by sin, but now a slave of God. A slave of righteousness. As it says here, in, in Romans chapter 6. And therefore, in Romans 6, the apostle Paul tells them, Since that's true, since you've been set free from sin and it's slavery and brought into slavery of, of God, put away your sin, kill it, and obey your God. And Moses, Moses' version of that is what we just read in Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by His name you shall swear. You've been set free from Egypt. Free from Pharaoh. Serve God. Serve the one true God. So brothers and sisters, please beware of idols. Only the one true God can save you. Only He is worthy of your devotion. Please don't ignore these things. Please don't ignore these things. Why, why shouldn't you ignore these things? Well, Moses says in verse 15, for the Lord our God is a jealous God. Don't ignore these things. The Lord our God is a jealous God. Now we think of jealousy as an evil thing because we only tend to see it in the hands of wicked men, but listen, God is not like us. God is not like us. In His hands, jealousy is a virtue. And he warns him, flee from idolatry because the Lord your God is a jealous God. As any good husband ought to possess a jealous love for his bride to have her affection and hers alone. So God has a righteous, jealous desire for his people's affections for him alone. As any good husband ought to possess a jealous anger Toward any man that would want to harm his bride. So our God hates idolatry, strikes out against it with jealous hatred. Feel warned by verse 15. The Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Don't forget your God and pick up idols. Don't you feel that warning? Listen to how the Apostle Paul says the same thing in Colossians 3, verse 5. Feel the warning of this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And hear the warning. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The Lord our God is a jealous God, and the wrath of God is coming. Take heed to his warning. Now the third warning in Deuteronomy 6 is found in verse 16. And it's a warning about testing God. Look at it. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Now think about why why is this warning here? Why in this place? You need to understand what it means to test God. This is not testing God as, as in trusting, you know, trusting God and, and then standing on His Word, testing His Word. It's not that. Rather, testing God here is rooted in doubt about His intentions or doubt about His capabilities. It's rooted in a lack of faith. You're testing Him. You're not, you're not trusting Him. Now, we're given an example to look at. It says, as you tested him at Massa. Now, you can find that in Exodus chapter 17. Go back and read that later. That's the the test case. What happened in Exodus 17 at Massa? Now, what happened there? Well, in that situation, you go back and read it, it all began with a difficult situation. It all began with a trial, a hardship. There's no water. Remember that? You brought us out of Egypt and then there's no water. How are we going to survive here? There's no water. Instead of trusting God in that moment, even trials are from His hand. Even His trials are good for me. Instead of trusting God in that moment, it says in, in that passage, Exodus 17, they started grumbling and complaining. And what is that grumbling and that complaining in the trial? What does it show? We we don't trust. We don't trust God's intentions. We don't trust His capabilities to help. We don't trust Him in this moment. And Exodus 17 verse 7 says, They tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? So a trial came. A hardship Came, And instead of taking this as a moment to trust God, the good God, at his word, they grumble, they complain, they doubt his goodness, they doubt his capabilities, they're testing him. Is God truly among us? And so Moses warns the second generation: generation, don't test God like the first generation did. Don't do that. Now, again, why is this place right here? Why this warning about testing God right here? You've got a warning about prosperity, and you've got this warning about testing God. And I believe that those are meant to be uh, in contrast to one another. Warnings about prosperity, forgetting God in prosperity, and warnings about testing God in the midst of trial. Think about that. You're coming into to a land of prosperity in the promised land. Beware of forgetting God, number one. And because of your temptation to forget me in prosperity, I'm going to bring trials into your life. My good hand, my loving hand, you bring trials into your life. Beware in that moment of testing me and doubting my intentions. Doubt my capabilities. In other words, Moses wants these people to learn the lesson that the Apostle Paul, centuries later, would learn. Listen to what Paul says. It's the same lesson. He says this, I have learned, I have learned, Paul says, in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low through hardship, trial, etc., And I know how to abound in a time of prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Israel. That's what he's saying to him. Israel. When you come into this land, you're going to find prosperity. And you're going to be tempted to be satisfied in the stuff. Don't do it. Be satisfied in God alone. Don't forget him. And then he turns here and says, Israel, when God brings trials and hardship into your life because he loves you and he wants to protect you from this temptation to be crushed by prosperity. Don't be crushed by the trials. Don't test me in those moments. Don't doubt my goodness. Don't doubt my power. Be content, even when everything else is stripped away. What's the secret of that contentment? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, Moses' version of that is found in the following instructions. So we've got those three warnings sitting there. And now we're going to move to two instructions that Moses gives here. And the first one is in verse 17 through 19. Verse 17 through 19. Now this is is instruction concerning obedience to God's word. Obedience to God's word. Now let me try to set the stage for that. In light of these warnings, think about it. In light of these warnings beware of forgetting God when you're full beware of testing God when you're famished and beware of the idolatry that all of that leads to in light of those warnings let's say you feel that you say Ryan I feel I feel warned by that now what do I do about it I feel the warning of those things the fullness and the trial and what it could produce I I feel the warnings of those things now how should I live And what Moses tells us in verse 17 is don't let your gaze be on the prosperity. Don't let your gaze be on the trial. Don't let your gaze be on idols. But fix your gaze on God's word. Look at it in verse 17. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He has commanded you. I love that. Listen to the language there. He points them straight. Beware of these things, the fullness and, 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 the, and the prosperity. Beware of the idols. Beware of these things. And then he takes them straight to what? The statutes and the word. The same stuff, the same language that just a few verses earlier, Moses said, let your heart and your homes be saturated with these things. Fix your eyes on God's word. And then he calls them in to this kind of obedience to God, God's word that's constantly gazing upon his promises. It's it's obey God's word, do what he says, all the while just standing on his promises. And you see that if you keep reading. So we read verse 17. Keep going, look at verse 18. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you. So do it, obey it. That you may go in and take possession of the good land, listen, that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Let's do it again. By thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. The Lord swore. The Lord promised. He's calling them in to look at, gaze, hear these warnings and gaze. Fix your gaze on God's word. Obey him while gazing upon his promises, standing upon his promises. Now that's actually a wonderful way to frame the life of a believer. It's what the 12 spies should have done 40 years prior, right? They walk in, what do they see? Giants, fortified cities, big armies. They see all this stuff, but so be it. God said, Go take the land, and I stand on his promise. He said, That's our land. I just stand on the promise and I take steps according to his commands. That's that's the believing life. And it's what he's wanting these this second generation to do now. Beware of the fullness. Don't test God. Beware of idols. Obey my commands while standing on my promises. It's the same thing that we need to be called into. Brothers and sisters, if if I just passed out blank sheets of paper all over the room and said, close your Bible and just start remembering and writing down a promise from God, another promise from God, Another promise from God. Another promise from God. Not just hazy stuff that floats out there, but words, written words from the living God. Could you fill up that paper with promises? And brothers and sisters in faith, are you standing on those promises while you're obeying God? Because that's the believing life. It's a life of faith. Now, the second piece of instruction, and lastly here, that Moses gives is concerning the next generation. And that's in verses 20 through 25. So it's interesting. These are you know, You've got instructions for the second generation about to go into the promised land. Now you've got instructions for all the following generations. This matters to God. And we read, he he introduces it. Look at verse 20. When your your son asks you in time to come, so he draws their attention to some situation in the future where your son's about to ask you something. When your son asks you in time to come, what's the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? And he's going to tell them, when, when, when they ask you that question, and Moses is going to say with the rest of the verses, here's how I want you to answer. When your son asks you this question, Moses is going to tell him, here's how I want you to answer. So this is interesting. We get warnings and instruction for the entire nation, the whole people of God, and then boom, right to the family. Instruction for the family. Now, that should be a reminder to us of how important this stuff is. Moms and dads, pick up your responsibility. This is a big deal. The family's like the building block for God, spreading His glory and His majesty to every generation. Instructions to the nation, to the people of God, boom. Straight to the family. When your son asks you this, what do you do? And that's not just Old Testament stuff. That's New Testament as well, that's Ephesians, that's Colossians. Fathers do this, mothers do this, parents do this, children do this. It's very important. And so Moses mentions a very important question that the child may ask. Now that's actually a sign of a healthy home. Remember the passage before. These words I command you today should be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So you're just pouring the Word of God into your home, saturating the, uh, the, your home with the Word of God. And, and this sign of, of health in the family, in the home, is children, young ones. Hey, can you tell me more about that? What's the meaning of these statutes and these rules that our God commanded you? That's a, that's a good sign. Young people, so you that are still under your parents, I want to encourage you to let this be an encouragement to you to ask the deeper questions. You have a million questions for your parents, do you not? Let a whole bunch of them be deep things of God. What's this mean in His Word, Mama? What's this mean? What's this mean, Daddy? In His Word, right here, what does this mean? And I want to encourage you that these children, so this is still for the young ones, these young ones, these, this son or this daughter or whatever, they're not asking as a skeptic. Listen to the way it says it. I'm going to read verse 20 again. They ask this question. What is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord, our God, the son says, the Lord, our God. He's our God, not just my parents' God, but my God. And I want to ask you a question about what our God has said to you. I want to encourage you to ask those questions. And how does Moses instruct the parents to answer? Now, remember, Moses is going to instruct the parents to answer a certain way, but it's meant to be a means to pass on the faith from one generation to the next. A means of God, a means that God uses to pass on the faith from one generation unto the next. And so what does he tell them to say? And there's four parts to this. I'll try to highlight them. Number one, Moses says, tell your son where we came from. Tell him who we were. Look at it in verse 21. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. Tell them, who, you, tell them who, you, who we were. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. That's the first part of your answer. Second, tell them what God did to deliver. Keep reading. Look what God did to deliver. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that He might bring us in and give us the land that He swore to give to our fathers. So tell them who we were and tell them what God did to deliver. Number three, tell them of the goodness of God's commandments. Look at it in verse 24. And the Lord commanded us, remember they're asking the question, what's the meaning of these statutes, these rules, these commandments? And, And He says, Look at redemption. Look at what God has done. And then he tells them the goodness of the commandments in verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God. And you ought to love this next phrase. For our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And then lastly, number four, tell them about the reward. Tell them about the reward, verse 25. And it will be righteousness for us if we're careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Moses says, Answer them like this. One, two, three, four. Answer them like this. Now, a quick note on that last point. It will be righteousness for us if we obey these commandments. That last point is not, brothers and sisters, justification by works. Consider the context. What have we been reading all around? God is the one that delivered you and you didn't deserve it. God is the one bringing you into the land and he's bringing you into blessing that you didn't participate in creating. And not only that, remember Deuteronomy 9. It's not by your righteousness. It's not by your righteousness. It's not by your righteousness that I'm bringing you into the land. That's the context. This is not justification by works. Consider the context. But rather, all will be right and good. All will be right and good when the redeemed of God enter into this obedient relationship with Him. Now again, I've said it twice already. I'll say it one more time. God's deliverance and dealings with Israel is a shadow of His dealings with us, the people of God, the church. Okay? And so... I want us to practice verses 20 through 25 today. I want to try something. I'm not sure if it'll work, but I'm going to give it a shot. All the young people in the room, young folks, and, and we'll put an age on it. How about tw- we'll leave the teenagers out. They're too cool for it. 12 and under. So if you've got a 12 and under, if you're a kid in here right now and you're 12 years old or under, parents nudge them. Let them know I'm talking to them right now. We're going to practice this. I want you to ask this question. So 12 and under, listen to me. I'm about to ask a question, and I want you to repeat it back. When your sons, in times to come, ask this question. I want you to repeat it back to me loud so everybody can hear. Are you ready, young ones? Repeat after me. What is the meaning of these words? I was okay. A little loud, let's try it again. What is the meaning of these words? I want to close by answering you. And remember that me answering you in this way is meant to be a means that draws, that takes the faith of your mother, the faith of your father, and it's not just their faith, but it's yours, that you belong to God. And so I want to answer you the same way Moses said that we should answer. Number one, let me tell you who we are without Jesus. Young ones, we are slaves. It's worse than Egypt. Egypt was horrible. They're killing their kids. Horrible stuff. But that slavery in Egypt, it pales in comparison to the slavery to sin that condemns us to hell forever. Without Jesus, we're bound for hell because of our sin. It's our fault. But let me tell you what God has done to deliver. God sent a Savior better than Moses. God sent a deliverer that's better than Moses. God Almighty took on human flesh so that He could die in your place Jesus, the God man, takes on human flesh. He came into this world to save sinners. God shows his love toward us, in that while we were sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. He goes to the cross and he's wounded for your transgressions, he's crushed for your iniquities. He lays down his life for you so that you don't have to go to hell. And all the signs and the wonders that God showed in Egypt, He shows greater signs as Jesus, the one that came under the wrath of God for you, is risen from the dead, still alive right now. He knows you. And you can put your hope in Him now and be saved. Saved from slavery. Saved from condemnation. Hope in Jesus Christ and saved from the wrath to come. Let me tell you about the goodness of his word. The goodness of his word. Satan lies to you. He did it in Genesis 3. That for you to pick up this word as a redeemed one and begin to look at the commands and stand on them and obey them, God's just trying to keep something from you. That's the lies of Satan. The world gives you those lies. That if you do that, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on something. It's a lie. What does the scripture say? Deuteronomy 6 says it like this. The Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God. Listen, you're not missing out on anything. For our good always. It's for your good. He means good to you. That He might preserve us alive as we are this day. And lastly, let me remind you of the reward. It's better than the land of Canaan. It's better than the land of Canaan. Hebrews 11, 16, the people of faith say this, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And Psalm 16 tells us that in that city, you're in his presence, and in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand, pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, thank you so much for your word. Please help us, God, to feel the warnings of your word. In the midst of fullness, God, I pray that you would not allow us, your people, to forget you, our God. But I pray that longings for you and knowledge of you and passion for you, fear of you and worship of you, God, would remain so high in this church for the glory of your name. God, I pray that you would keep us from idols and the covetousness which is idolatry. Keep us from it, God. Let our desire be so so rich and so high for you, Lord, that all idols die. God, we thank you for trials and hardship and things that you allow into our lives and bring into our lives for our good. God, I pray that you would keep us in those moments from testing you and doubting your goodness and doubting your capabilities. God, please keep us. You're good, God. Even when you bring trials, even when things are hard, you are good. And I pray that our hearts would know that. God, please make us a people that stand on your promises and obey your word. You have redeemed us by the blood of Christ. You've given us new hearts. And God, I pray that that would be on display and and so clear, God, as we want to obey you. And God, I'll pray for the generations to come. And i pray for every teenager and every young one in this room, Lord, that they would pick up the faith of their mothers and their fathers, Lord. And with more passion and more love for Christ and more knowledge of you, Lord, that they would impact this world for your namesake. We love you and we commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.